With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. E-S-N-Y. Game five Rangers tonight. Um, have you been following that at all on top of baseball, Max? Truthfully, I haven't. I'm actually a really big Miami Heat fan. My family's from Miami, and uh-huh. I haven't been able to follow that series. Um, wow. It's just – it's tough during the season, you know. I also run the the Jets site for mm-hmm. SI and our network. Um, and, you know, it's the off season for the NFL, but you always got to try to churn out content. So – I would have loved to kind of dive into the Rangers series. Would have loved to watch the Heat a little more, but yeah. yeah. Max, are you from Miami? I'm born and raised in Manhattan, but both okay. my parents are from Miami. A lot of relatives down there. So growing up, I would always go down there for like vacations and gotcha. uh, yeah. during the summer from school, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah uh, I grew I grew up in Naples. So um, I'm a, just a stone's throw away from Miami. Spent a lot of time there playing baseball and whatnot. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, born and raised in Manhattan. Where'd you go to high school? Beacon High School. Oh, I went to Birchwath and Lennox. Is that public or private Upper East Side? Okay. Super small. I did. I did public all the way through. Yeah, um, I, I knew. I, I knew a couple of kids who went to Beacon too. Yeah, I feel like I did too. But now I can't. Their names escape me. I can't. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's our extremely cold open, folks. This is uh, episode <laughs> one thirty of the Bleacher Creatures podcast. Brought to you by Elite Sports New York, uh, Crossing Broad, XL Media, Warwick Gaming, and as always, RiverQuest NYC. This is episode 130. Now, this is the first episode without James Kelly and Allison Gase. It is me, uh, Josh Benjamin, longtime ESNY Yankees senior writer, along with my buddy Alec Montecalvo, uh, great friend of the show, longtime Yankees fan, current hitting instructor. <clears throat> And on the show today with us, we have from Sports Illustrated, he's got the Yankees beat his second time on the show, Max Goodman. Welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. So first things first, it is a beautiful day here in New York. Max, you were saying your last time on the show how your journey to the team has been different, what with COVID and whatnot. What's it like having clubhouse access finally? It's been nice. Um, finally getting to, to build some relationships and and being there every day as a younger reporter myself, at least compared to the majority of the beat, I think that I still have a lot of room to grow. And so every time I'm in there, I kind of treat it as an opportunity to, whether it's just a, a conversation with a player or a, a one-on-one interview or, or being in a scrum, I always think I'm, I'm learning something and, and getting better myself. Obviously it's, it's instrumental in, in producing good content too, which, which helps for my site and all that. So yeah. Uh, it's it's been great honestly and and it just so happens that the team is doing very well so I think most of the time the the vibes in there are are pretty solid especially after the game with the music bumping and 
and all that good stuff. So uh, it's it's been a very formative uh, first couple of months of this year for sure. Which players in particular? My landline starts ringing. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so who in a particular have you uh, forged relationships with this season? Would you say? Who have I? Give me that one more time. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. Like, which, like, who have you spoken to in particular this season that's like really, really stood out to you? Like, what kind of relationships have you formed? With Definitely. Um, it, it varies, you know, with with the star power that they have in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sometimes hard to get with with the the, the Coles and the judges and, and such. Uh, I think that I've been able over the course of the last couple months, including spring training, to at the very least introduce myself to the the vast majority of the roster. But I think that my my little corner of the clubhouse where I've been able to build the, the biggest relationship is, is the younger pitchers. So right. you know, the Clark Schmidt, Ron Marinaccio, those guys who who are still trying to build their own reputation and, and roll with the big league roster as well. Um, but, you know, I, I used to pitch uh, back in my amateur career in, in high school and um we have a, a lot of similarities in terms of age, but also interests off the field. So I've, I've always tried to, you know, check in with those guys when they're up with the big league team, cause they're not always there. Um, but yeah, like I said, with my first answer, just trying to get to know these players and um, some of the best advice that I've ever received was from a, an older reporter one time earlier this year, who said, you know, always ask these players about their family and, and what they do off the field, because uh, it'll help in the long run when you actually got to talk to them about the, about the team or about a game and, and having that relationship with them, showing that you care even beyond what happens between the lines is, uh, is important. Yeah. I kind of want to, uh, sorry, Josh, but I want to springboard off that a little bit. Uh, who amongst the more established reporters have really taken you under their wing or has it kind of just been like, Hey, you're here, like figure it out as you go. A mix of the two, I'd say, you know how it is with, with the Yankees. There are usually so many reporters in there. The, the ratio of, reporter to player is often uh, not ideal in the, in the clubhouse, but I think I've been able to learn a whole lot from the majority of the, the Yankees beat. So I'm very lucky in that sense. And just a name drop. I mean, um, I interned at MLB.com a couple of years ago. So Brian Hoke has been amazing. Great guy. Uh, Lindsay Great Adler, guy. Brendan Cuddy. Um, obviously Brendan and Lindsay are on the younger side compared to the vast majority of the beat. So I've, I have some, some interests uh, common interest with them and, and getting to know them sitting near them in the press box. Um, but yeah, I think that everyone that, that comes through, whether it's the folks who are on the beat every day or the more national writers who are only there a couple of times, uh, you know, month to month. Um, it, it's been great to, to beyond covering the team to learn from, from those folks, because at the end of the day, I am trying to, to build a reputation and, and, and get better at what I do. And they're very established and good at what they do. Right. So there's a lot, a lot to learn. Let's shift back to Ron Marinaccio. He's got to be like a kid in a candy store right now. Tom's River, New Jersey, like going the Todd Frazier route. He, how does he take it all in just being at Yankee Stadium, playing for his favorite team, like just a stone's throw from where he grew up himself? I asked Aaron Boone about this uh, the other day, and I don't know if he completely understood my question because it didn't turn into something that I would want to write about, but it, it goes in line with what you just asked because – with what happened with Jose Trevino the other day, we learned more about how he has a connection with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Eric Cole, obviously, was a Yankee fan. Gallo, IKF. There are a lot of Yankee fans, or at least folks who had familial connections to the team growing up. 
or positive uh, associations. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I asked Boone if, if that could actually have like a tangible effect on, on chemistry or, or the product on the field. And he ended up just talking more about Trevino, but yeah, I think that it's been incredible for, for Marinaccio. You know, we were around him in spring training when he was pitching well and, and showing why he deserved a spot. And obviously with the expanded rosters, he ended up getting his shot on the big league roster right away. And, you know, we got to see a, a taste of what he's capable of on Wednesday, two perfect innings and his changeup is really his money pitch. Yeah. And he's going to, you know, be able to find his path to, to stick in this bullpen. Obviously it helps that they're dealing with a lot of adversity right now, but he's shown in the minors that he's, you know, capable of, of getting good hitters out. And I think that it's just even more special that he's able to have family there. And he grew up, you know, around that team because he lived so, so close to here. Now you went down to Tampa for spring training this year. Yes, I did. How was that experience for you? It was good. You know, I, I started on the beat in um, late 2019 after that season. So the beginning of 2020 before the pandemic shut everything down, I was in the clubhouse in Tampa for maybe two weeks or so. Um, so that was when I really first started to meet everybody, not, not just the yeah. players, but the, the reporters and, and PR staff and all of that stuff too. So to be back, it was, it was nice. It was a little bit of familiarity for me. I, I knew my way around, even if it had been a few years and you can kind of shake off a little bit of rust because we haven't been around the players for a really long time and they haven't been around us, but I think that being in the clubhouse in the Bronx was uh, even cooler for me because I hadn't been in there yet until this spring and I had covered the team since, you know, November of 2019. So that it was, it was long overdue. Obviously we've all been going through, you know, not, not the best times yeah, recently with really not. COVID and all that stuff, but um, it was like a dream come true for me. Right. Cause I, I grew up here. I, I watched the Yankees as a kid and, and always, you know, wanted to, pursue journalism because once I figured out that I, I wasn't going to be able to play at the next level that was <laughs> where I went to and that's why I pursued you know sports journalism in college too so um, that was always on my radar right to, to cover the Yankees when, once I was able to start my career living the dream all right I'm gonna we're gonna shift to baseball talk and I'm gonna hand the ball off to Alec right now because he's got uh, his own questions and uh, Alec take it away yeah um so I don't know, Max, this is the first time you and I have officially met, but uh, Josh kind of hinted at it earlier, but I'm a hitting instructor who works with kids of all ages. And it's really fascinating when you have a moment to sit down and talk with the higher level hitters, uh, pro athletes, semi-pro athletes, all that stuff. Um, like getting an understanding of hitting approaches, how they process the game at the higher level. And I was just wondering, uh, how has the clubhouse responded to the hiring of Dylan Lawson and kind of like what he brings to the table that might be a little different from what Marcus Timms did? Well, I'll, I'll start with saying I wasn't really around Timms that much, obviously with what I was just talking about. So I don't really know since I've been on the beat, how Timms wasn't in the clubhouse, but this year so far, it, it seems like Lawson is having a positive impact. I've been able to catch up a few times with him. Um, I talked to him in Chicago uh, about Glaber Torres and, and how encouraging it's been uh, picking his brain about Torres's numbers are really, really good early in the count. Actually, I just happened to come across that split one time and, and brought it up to him. 
Uh, it seems like he really knows what he's doing in terms of the way he answered that question. I talked to him in spring training about uh, Kiner Falefa and his ability to kind of take a step forward with his swing change this year and, and potentially a different approach. Obviously he's, he's very streaky, um, but yeah, it, it seems like a positive impact. There, there was a, a time there where we were going to have, you know, Eric Chavez in there and, and the, the different folks in terms of the assistant hitting coaches that were going to be brought in. But, you know, if that answers your question, I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like it's uh, a positive impact so far. And, and the team has been hitting well in large part. Right. So it seems like so far he's yeah. had an impact. Yeah. The underlying numbers definitely make it seem like that. Hey, he's doing something that is working, but there's always this kind of overarching question that never seems to have a clear answer, which is how much of an impact does a major league hitting coach have on the hitters? Because nowadays everyone has their own private instructor and there's always that risk of one side conflicting with the other. Um, I've had the opportunity to sit firsthand with a current major leaguer who plays on the West coast. And, you know, I've heard certain stories about, you know, previous hitting coaches that didn't really have the pulse of the team and how that affected team hitting as a whole. And then how one little change or one different approach, whether it's more analytics based or like whatever it is, how that creates such a difference, but then also kind of having these hitters, having to juggle their relationships between that hitting coach and then their private instructor who they've probably known for a long time and go to in the off season. So I was, uh, if you, um, have ever seen or have seen yet to that point, like, I, I guess where I'm trying to segue into is like Aaron Hicks, right? Uh, he's been a pretty hot topic for us on the show. And what is the feel either from Hicks, the player, if you've been able to gather that or from Lawson, like how are they approaching this pretty bad slide he's on? Because he seems pretty stuck and having a hard time digging his way out. It has been a tough stretch for him. That's for sure. It also seems like everything is is not going his way right now, whether it's also defensively or, or on the base paths. I haven't seen him talking to Lawson just in, in the locker room area where we are. I'm sure that they're obviously working hard for him to get back on track. Uh, and and I'm sure you guys have listened to, to Boone and his press conferences. He always takes the optimistic and positive route. Um, encouraging his players and showing that he believes in them. So I think that from my perspective, it looks like the coaching staff is, you know, on board with, with Hicks and he continues to have opportunities, right? I mean, he's hitting lead off some days and he's hitting whether it's fifth or sixth or something. So he's in run scoring opportunities and he's out there getting his, his playing time. Obviously they're stuck with him with, with the contract too, but yeah, I mean, that's with what you were talking about before and, and mixing, how a coach can be hands-on with, with what a player is doing off the field too, on, on their own. The Yankees have an interesting mix of, you know, a lot of really established veteran and star players. You know, I don't know necessarily how much an Aaron judge or a John Carlos Stanton seeks out additional advice when they've been doing this and succeeding at it for a long time. But, you know, when I talked to Lawson in spring training, checking in about Oswaldo Cabrera, and Lawson obviously has a really good pulse of the minor league system from his role over the last few years. So as much as I'm, you know, going off track with your, your Hicks question, I think that Lawson maybe can have more of an impact on the younger guys in that room in terms of helping them grow because they're still learning themselves. And 
as he has transitioned into this role, he's very familiar with the guys who've been in the organization for a long time. I don't know how much of an impact he can have day to day on a judge, a Stanton, a Hicks, but that's his job. And that's what the assistant coaches are there to do. It's, it's picking up on certain things and, and giving them just a little tidbit of, of information or advice before they go out there on the field. So maybe it's not a, a huge impact, but you never know. Maybe he can just give one sort of thing about a, a, a pitcher's tendencies or, or something that he noticed in batting practice. Like you're, you always see Lawson and the other hitting coaches out there uh, talking to him on the field. I'm sure they do work in the cages too. So again, it seems like so far it's been a complete positive effort in terms of Lawson and the hitting coaches and, and Boone so far this year distancing themselves from a lot of the inconsistencies we saw last year, but Hicks still has to obviously uh, figure that out. And it's maybe a little too early to say that it's, it's another lost year for him. And obviously injuries have had a huge impact on his career so far uh, in a Yankees uniform, but he's got a lot of work to do for sure. I've said about Hicks uh, last episode, actually James's farewell, uh, how it, in the grander scheme of the 2022 season, this could just be a comically bad month for Hicks. It wasn't too long ago, like you'll, you'll recall, both of you guys will, will, will remember, uh, Didi Gregorius got off to a really hot start in 2018, and then in May, he disappeared. Uh, and Gary Sanchez got off to a fairly hot start, or not, not hot start, but a good start one particular year, and then just kept hitting the ball into outs. So it's... It's one small slice of a regular season, and hopefully uh, Hicks does turn things around. Uh, shifting back to pitching, Max, uh, we talked about Dylan, Dylan Lawson. Matt Blake, it seems that his positive influence in the clubhouse, it only gets better and better each year. This season, Nestor Cortez, talk about lightning in a bottle. Uh, what has his presence done, not just for the rotation, but for the team as a whole? Blake's presence? Blake and Nestor. Oh man. Well, Nestor's kind of been a, a revelation over the last almost 12 months at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he hasn't given up more than three earned runs in a start since he basically found his spot in the rotation last summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as I think he was, he was showing that, you know, he, he has what it takes last year for him to turn into this ACE caliber pitcher. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy, right? I mean, I don't know how many people expected it, but it does seem like within the Yankees organization, they knew that he was capable of taking a, a huge leap like this. Um, with the adversity that the Yankees have been facing, it's pretty remarkable that their number five starter entering the season has been pitching like an ace and one of the yeah. best pitchers in the league. And that really is going to have a, you know, he's not necessarily going to post Cy Young numbers for a whole year or for, for a whole career, at least it doesn't seem like that. Maybe he will. And if he continues to get better then he, he obviously will, but to have that at the bottom of a rotation, if he stays healthy, if he continues to produce every five days, that's going to open up doors for this team as they, as they look to contend. And then with Blake, I think you're seeing a lot of pitchers like Cortez, like Clay Holmes, like Lucas Litke last year. I mean, these guys that you don't necessarily expect really tremendous numbers but they put on the pinstripes and they work with this organization and and staff obviously led by Matt Blake and they've been able to figure certain things out Uh, I would love to be in the room where it happens where you know in in spring training behind closed doors Blake is is talking about seam shifted wake and and all those intricate details of, of pitching with with these guys but 
when you look at this organization as a whole, they've really been able to figure a lot of things out, whether it's, you know, Garrett Cole and, and the, the headline guys of the staff continuing to sustain their, you know, quality numbers and, and pitching to their potential, but it's also the lower level guys and the prospects. I mean, JP Sears is looking great. And yeah, he, he was really impressive last night. Right. So there are a lot of, you know, highly touted arms in this system, which is a, a testament to the organization, even beyond Blake in terms of finding these guys when they're young and bringing them in or drafting them, trading for them, et cetera. I tweeted something, you know, Michael King, Clay Holmes, um, I'm blank. Wandy Peralta, like they're all players that were acquired via trade. And that's a testament to their scouting department and, and the organization in terms of evaluating those guys before they're even in the system. And then they're able to bring the best out of them once they're in the building. So obviously Blake is having a huge impact. He's got a fiery personality, a, a sneaky one in terms of he's gotten ejected a few times and he, he, he's <laughs> speaking his mind in the dugout, but just talking to him over the last couple of months and, and even um, last summer, he know, really knows what he's doing. It's fun to pick his brain about, about pitching and, and certain guys on that staff. Shifting gears again, uh, obviously the Yankees have had a few drama-filled days because of the Josh Donaldson-Tim Anderson feud. Donaldson released a statement today that Mark Feinson put out. First and foremost, I have the utmost respect for what Tim Anderson brings to the game of baseball. I stated over the weekend that I apologize for offending Tim and that it was a misunderstanding based on multiple exchanges between us over the years. My view of that exchange hasn't changed, and I absolutely meant no disrespect. In the past, it had never been an issue, and now that it is, we have a mutual understanding. I would also like to apologize to Mrs. Rachel Robinson and the Jackie Robinson family for any distress this incident may have caused. Jackie was a true American hero, and I hold his name in the highest regard. Max, you were there when all this went down over the weekend. So, like, just what what was the energy in the room, like, once everything came to light? Because when the, watching this happen in the moment must have been very confusing. Right. I think we we you know, learned more and more as it progressed. I mean, I was in Chicago too, and we were a little confused as to why benches were clearing. And and I don't know if you guys saw the the news live as it's happening, but the Yankees just signed somebody. We can talk about that in a second. Um, so it, it was definitely something that we thought there was that animosity from, from years past between Anderson and, and Donaldson. But as you learn more, um, Certain guys in the clubhouse obviously spoke their mind. Judge, I think, gave a spot-on answer. Um, and when when Donaldson says something like that, very controversial and something that obviously he's also apologized for now, it seems like he was in the wrong. And looking at what the the, the guys in the White Sox clubhouse said, it, it's clear that you know Donaldson may have overstepped a little bit. And as much as he thought that it was a joke. Um, it didn't come across that way and Anderson wasn't thrilled with it. And, and that's what, what led to the conflict. So, you know, Donaldson is, is known for having that personality. Uh, not everybody in the league likes him. Uh, and that's for a variety of different reasons, but for judge to have said what he said and for, for Boone to have criticized his player in that way too, I think it's pretty clear that he overstepped and he said something wrong, but if Donaldson has released that statement and he'll obviously talk about it more next time he's back from the, the COVID IL, I'm not sure when that's going to be. It seems like he was on track uh, in the last few days to return soon. Um, he's going to have to wear that and, and continue to 
speak his mind about what was going through his, his head when he made those comments. And, and most um, important of all, grow from the experience. Exactly. And I thought something that came up, uh, I believe it was yesterday, Boone was asked, do you think Donaldson has grown from it? And he said, you know, I haven't really checked in with him because he hasn't been in the building. He's been home with, with some sort of illness because, you know, none of these guys had COVID, but they're on the COVID IL. Right. So it'll be interesting to hear from him when he's back. And I think that we can, we can gather if it really was something that he learned from, because that's what we can all hope for that, that he um, was able to, to learn more about himself from, from this entire experience. Uh, one thing I did appreciate from that statement, and then we'll pivot right to what happened. Um, I did appreciate how in that statement, he made a point to say, to, to name Mrs. Robinson and say like, like, I apologize to you. Like you are still here with us carrying on your husband's legacy. So like this affects you too. And I, I thought that was a very classy move. Alec, this is something you've talked about in the past. Matt Carpenter is a Yankee. How are you feeling about this? You know, I saw that. I was like, I think I could pull up some old receipts saying that he might be worth taking a flyer on. <laughs> yeah, I, can't I can't remember who it was in the athletic. I don't know if it was uh, Ken Rosenthal or maybe it was Eno Saris. Who I, think it, I think it was Eno. I, and documenting his change uh, or changing his swing because he felt like uh, Matt Carpenter felt like he still had some games left in them and it all kind of made sense i have to pull up the article again but i just remember reading it it's like you know this all makes some pretty good sense if it works out you could be a good guy to kind of you know buy low on and and you know low like low risk high reward so i'm actually i'm going to be interested to see how this is going to play out because what they signed to a major league contract right uh yeah he's on the major league roster wearing number 24 all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of excited for this. Uh, Max, how does Matt Carpenter fit on this team? We're still processing it. Um, yeah. Like fr fresh out the box. So, cause I haven't looked at his numbers in a long time. What did he do this year? Was he even playing this year or was he not? I, I remember he had, a, I think he had a minor league deal with the Rangers at one point and then, and then they, they cut him or he just didn't quite make it out of camp. But he, he was saying like for a while, no, like I can still play. I'm ready to go. Right. I mean, Left-handed bad. He can play multiple infield positions, had a pretty good barrel rate last year from what I understand. So I don't know. I mean, like maybe he can kind of be that sort of scrappy Brett Gardner type that everyone on Yankees Twitter is clamoring for to be in the clubhouse. So Well, in terms of, you know, like a, like a personality, Gardner type of impact he is very experienced he's yeah. played in the postseason before uh that that can only help I'd say but I do wonder what this means for the health of other guys I mean Carpenter's not an outfielder right so it's not like he's coming up to replace Stanton for his right. aisles so yeah. does that mean that Donaldson isn't ready to come back does that mean that LeMayhew's wrist thing isn't gonna be you know not a factor. Is he not able to come back and, and play right away? Um, it does help to have another left-handed bat, but also, I mean, they just brought up Florial. Uh, obviously they sent him down. They just brought up Miguel Andujar as well. So, and Manny Benuelos. Benuelos as well. Um, I just, I, I'm curious to hear what, what Boone says about it. Obviously I'm not in Tampa right now, so he'll probably talk about that very soon. Um, but you're adding a, a an experienced veteran, and and obviously now we can dive into those numbers and and see what he's what he's been doing recently. But in terms of his track record, I mean he's capable of putting the ball in play and and helping Alec, them score some runs. Alec is 
is uh, vociferously bringing up those stats. What, Alex, yes, what you got? Uh, so, he, I mean, he hasn't played at all this year. Um, but then if I go back to, let's see, you go back to 2020 and you're looking at kind of the metrics that he put in to play. I mean, kind of kind of in a similar vein is like what Aaron Hicks is doing now, which is he's not chasing. He didn't chase the ball a lot, but with the pitches he was getting in the zone, didn't make a lot of good quality contact. And I'm actually now trying to find the, Eno Sarah, uh, the, Eno article, um, about Carpenter and, and trying to like, All right. well, while, while you, him. while you pull that up, Alec, let's uh, shift to the, uh, big story right now. The Yankees are facing the Rays for the first time this season. The same Rays who have made the World Series in the past couple of years, won the division last year. Very, very good team who has beat up on the Yankees more than their fair share of times, especially in the last five years under the Kevin Cash era. Uh, Max, what's the attitude heading into the series? What do the Yankees, like? what needs to be their focus going into the trap? It's going to be a tough series for them. Uh, they've They've played a lot of bad teams so far, and... They've had a lot of success, which is, you know, I think that that fans have been critical of that so far, but they can't control their schedule. And last year they didn't beat up on the bad teams. So it's a good thing that they've been playing well against the Orioles and 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 the like uh, to this point this season. It's definitely peculiar. They haven't played the Rays up until now. I mean, we're already a, a fourth through the season or, or whatever it is. So it's, it's going to be a, a good test for them, especially with the adversity they've been facing. The, the bullpen looks a lot different than it did at the start of the season. The starting lineup has looked very 2020-esque at times in terms of the, the certain depth guys that have been able to, to start because certain folks are injured or on the COVID IL, um, et cetera. So the Rays are a good team. I haven't been following them that closely because they haven't been playing the Yankees. So we haven't seen them just yet, but we know that they have uh, a great pitching staff. I was looking at the pitching matchups. Yankees are going to see Corey Kluber this series. Shane McClanahan has been a Cy Young caliber pitcher to this point. And it's never easy for them to go in the drop and, and win, especially, I mean, a four-game series, anything can happen. I would not be surprised if they go in there and, and lose three of four. So they've got to go out there and prove that they are one of the best teams in the league. And, you know, first team in the AL to 30 wins or, or whatever it was. Now they've got a chance to back it up and, and play against another postseason contender, score some runs, continue to pitch well, and, and battle that adversity they've been facing because it has had an impact on their roster these last few days. I recall last season, uh, after losing two out of three at the trap early on, <clears throat> I kind of jokingly wrote in an article how, look, the Yankees need to sit down and just get it all out of their system. Like, we can call like ju just for laughs, you can call this the Florida project. Just like they said, I said, just sit down, say what is so bad about playing at the trap. Like, why is this place terrible? There's always traffic. It's a, it's not a great looking ballpark. The turf feels weird. Like there, it's noisy. And then sure enough, their next two trips to the, to the, to Tampa, they won two out of three. So I don't know. The Rays are, are a much different team this year. They don't have Austin Meadows. Uh, their pitching staff is not as, I guess, was, it's not as threatening as it was, as great as uh, Shane McClanahan has been. Um, but also you got guys like Randy Rosarena and Wander Franco, G-Man Choi, the Garrett Cole killer. Uh, do you, I don't, 
I think the best way to say this is that the Yankees aren't going to win the AL East this week. Could they possibly lose it with a bad showing in Tampa? I don't know if one series in May is going to have that big of an impact, but I do think that uh, momentum plays a big role in the sport. And this has the potential to be the beginning of a, of a bad stretch for this team. I know I keep talking about the adversity, but you lose three key high leverage relievers. You lose one of your two big boppers in the middle of your order. Mm-hmm. It looks like LeMahieu isn't playing tonight. So who knows what the deal is there. And Donaldson still isn't back. Gallo and Hicks have been struggling. So there's a potential here for this to start to spiral. And when you've won that many games early on, they've been, you know, riding high and, and looking like a team that's going to win the division when heading into this season, a lot of people were thinking they could be a third or fourth place team, but you've got to sustain that. And that's why this sport is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you're now going to be heading into this tough stretch, I think when you look at their schedule, they're playing a lot of contenders over the next few weeks, including the Rays multiple times, including the Angels next week. And they go play the Twins in Minnesota. So all of a sudden you're looking at a stretch where, man, if they start losing series in a row and their guys aren't healthy, you wonder what kind of impact that can have. Obviously, I think that from my perspective and with what we've heard from, from teammates as well as the coaching staff, they believe they're equipped to handle this stretch. And obviously they have faith in, in the guys they have in that building. But every series does matter. I don't want to downgrade um, what, what you were saying in your question. But I think that, you know, going in there and getting swept or something could have a, have a, a significant impact along with what's going on off the field and, and what they're dealing with. Yeah, I, like, I don't want to say that the vibes seem to have flipped on a dime. But I, I feel like last week when we were doing our last episode, we were feeling pretty confident going into the stretch. And then the Donaldson incident and then the, the bevy of injuries. Uh, it, it's got you feeling a little bit more apprehensive on just like, you know, you, you built up such goodwill with the team going up to this point. They're playing well, they're playing, you know, the margins better, clean, good, efficient baseball. And all of a sudden it's like all that though, it still feels like we are standing upon like a little bit of an edge here where this is a maybe – you know, yeah, you can't put much much uh, stock in a May series, but it seems like this week carries a little bit more weight than we anticipated it to. And and kind of like going off what you said, Max, like it doesn't belittle the, the, the series that they have played up to this point. You have to beat the opponent that's in front of you. And that's where this incredibly hot start they got off to is, you know, money in the bank for them. It's, you know, even if they have a rough stretch they built up enough goodwill to where hey even if they lose the series was it a four game series three game series four four like if they lose three out of four they're still in first place and if they get swept it's what they're tied so i mean they're they put themselves in a good spot to weather the storm but it all of a sudden it seems like the stakes got a little bit higher that's definitely that's definitely true. Um, I one thing I'll say about this team, even with the rainfall of injuries uh, the past couple of days, one thing I've noticed about this Yankees team, Max, compared to last season, is that there's something about the way Lawson has them taking swings. They're cleaner swings. It's not like last season where 
it's almost like they're willing that one big hit to happen instead of focusing on having one strong at bat after one strong at bat. I think that maybe as long as they head into Tampa with the idea of, okay, let's just try to get a series split. Let's not worry about blowing them out of the water. Uh, that should be, I don't know, that kind of focused approach seems that it could be beneficial this early on and then kind of help maintain momentum even with some key guys injured. Well, it's, it's a more well-rounded team this year, and I think they've shown that they're winning the types of games that they lost a lot last year, those close games where you need that one timely hit or you need the bullpen to give you five, six scoreless innings. Right. Um, when you have a, a more well-rounded team with the bottom of the order isn't you know going station to station, you have a Kiner Falefa, you have a Trevino um, even Glaber Torres this year, they're giving you quality at bats and, and just moving the line. And that's what they've needed a lot this year. Obviously, I think that the pitching staff has been incredible in the grand scheme of things. Um, last night is a great example. You get yeah. five stellar innings from your starter, but you still need to go another four when you're missing all your high leverage guys. And Michael King pitched the day before. And even the, the younger unproven folks in that pen were able to, to deliver. But again, it's the Orioles, right? So now it's, it's your big test against the Rays. And you play that team 19 times a year, and every game does matter. Because at the end of the day, it looks like the Yankees and Rays, potentially the Jays too, are going to be battling it out later in this year for you know positioning in this division. If they're going to want to win a division, you got to beat the team that's also competing to win a division. And Last year, their record against the Orioles, I think, played a big role. So that's another conversation that they're beating that team, which is a good thing for them because down the stretch, you can't get those wins back since you play them 13 times already. Yeah. But now they're going to play the Rays quite a bit over the next few months. And if you go out there and you don't take care of business, that may be a detriment to them when you're in September and you're trying to catch up to them, but you don't have the time. You don't have the games against them. And, and the Rays are continuing to play well. So these, these games do make a difference. And against a team that's very sound like the Rays, also a well-rounded team, and even if they're you know, missing some guys in their pitching staff and what we're used to seeing in the last few years, uh, they're going to play you tough in, in every facet, right? So the Yankees have to play a complete game each of these times out there in, in a hostile environment, even if it's maybe not as as loud as, as certain stadiums. It's, it's still hard for them to win there. At least it has been in the last few years. Yeah. The Rays are definitely an interesting team this season. Cause I took a look at, I took a look at their schedule just now. They they had a very timely six game winning streak and really capitalized on not, not so much the Yankees uh, doing swell, but the rest of the division, Toronto, um, Baltimore, there and Boston were kind of struggling so early on. So they kind of took advantage of that one streak to kind of get into second place. Uh, pivoting back real quick. You mentioned Michael King. He is just a different player this year. What, what has changed in him that was missing in his first two years with the team? To be honest, I kind of expected this kind of year from him. I think we've seen those glimpses that he has just incredible stuff and, and mm -hmm. learning that Kluber ball last year, but starting to, to develop his secondary pitches and his sinker and, and everything that he has in his arsenal. He's kind of that modern day guy who could be a starter and may very well be a starter going forward, but you're putting in him in that versatile role in the pen where he can give you one out if you really need it in high leverage, but he can also go out and for three innings, shut a lineup down and face each of those guys one time and just completely baffle 
whoever is facing him. And he's been doing it against really good hitters. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a testament to what we talked about earlier, the organization developing these young arms. And it's also him really figuring it out with the stuff that he has. And that's, you know, just, just the way that he throws his pitches, but also figuring out how to excel in the roles that he's put in. He's gotten to save this year. He's, you know, immaculate innings and, and all that yeah. good stuff. So I think he's going to be huge for this team. If he can stay healthy and, and be that guy that Boone can lean on just in any situation, that's important for any team to have these days. Yeah. I think credit to Yankee staff. I, I mean, the way they've handled King and Schmidt has been very impressive. Like, like from the beginning of the season where, you know, they gave him some of the low leverage opportunities and just let them build that confidence to now they can be trusted in the high leverage situations. I mean, I've been critical of Boone and company in the past, but that's like King and Schmidt. Like I, I couldn't be more happy with how they've performed so far this year. Speaking of pitchers, uh, Bo- uh, Boone is apparently appearing on the Michael K show right now and, and has just said, uh, Aroldis Chapman will be, quote, in the mix for the closer's job when he returns. Max, we'll close the show with this. Should Aroldis Chapman be worried for his job? I think he should definitely be worried in terms of next year for sure because, you know, he's in the last year of his deal and they've got young guys with team control that have been impressive this year. Um, I always thought it was going to be Loisaga that that jumped into that spot, but he's not healthy and he's kind of struggled so far this year. So we'll see with him. But Man, Clay Holmes has been the best reliever in baseball, right? I don't think that's that's too bold to say. At least he has in, in recent history with this scoreless inning stretch. So yep. if he continues to pitch well, when Araldis Chapman comes back, if if Holmes is still doing well with that deadly sinker and, and his slider and the stuff that he has, it's going to be hard for Chapman to get that job back. We haven't seen Chapman in a, a, a setup middle inning type of role in a very long time. He's been a closer and a good one for many, many years at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when he comes back. He's got to get healthy first. Um, you know, Achilles is, is nothing to, to mess with. So I think that the expectation is he'll be able to come back and, and be healthy after his IL stint. And you got to hope that he can, but there are a lot of moving parts in this, but you, you're missing Chad green for the rest of the year. That's a significant blow. And Loisaga has had, shoulder injuries now and back-to-back seasons he's dealt with arm injuries in the past in his career that's mm-hmm. a cause for concern so you mentioned Clark Schmidt I talked about Michael King I mean it's a next man up mentality in this bullpen potentially for the rest of the season and Clay Holmes may be along with Michael King the, the two most important guys in that pen if Loisaga Chapman and obviously Green are not going to have that type of dominant year that, that you're used to and we obviously can't forget Miguel Castro, who with all those years with the Orioles and the Mets, like when he's not walking, guys, that fastball changeup, that is a deadly pair. Deadly, deadly pair. I and never he, realized Miguel Castro was as big as Judge and Stanton. Yeah, he, he doesn't look that big on the mound, does he? He really no, doesn't. No. And then there was that picture of the three of them. I was like, geez, he's, I'm like, who would ever want to fight the New York Yankees? The Just, New York. The New- <laughs> <laughs> like, like, who would ever want to fight them? They're, they're like, you'd be looking up at them as you're trying to throw a punch. No, yeah. thank no, thank you. All right. Well, that is a, that's a great close to the show. Max, thanks so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, give, why don't you give me your social so everyone can follow you and read your work? Sure. Uh, find me on Twitter at Max T. Goodman and all my 
articles and, and videos that I do on, on my site inside the pinstripes. It's uh, si.com slash MLB slash Yankees. Also inside the pinstripes.com works the same. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. We got some, some breaking news while we're on here. And I think, that was uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> talked about pretty much the entire team in, in what, in a little under an hour. So I yeah, appreciate that, it. That, that was great. So be sure to tune into the Yankees tonight against the Rays. You can find me on Twitter at Josh B E S N Y. Alec, give him yours. Yeah, you can find me at Alec underscore Monte Caldo. Very simple, very easy. Um, Y'all twisted my arm to get back on, so I'm not. not (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for watching, folks. And uh, be sure to listen on Apple, Spotify, wherever you may get your podcasts. This has been Bleacher Creatures, episode 130. We'll see you soon.